1: Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production.
0: For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted.
1: This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. And Courtney, we were out at TCO Performance Center for a few hours in the sun. I got a little bit uh a golden tan, we'll call it, not a red sunburn on my face. As we were watching all of the tryout players, the undrafted free agents, and the rookies Uh, take their first swing at becoming Minnesota Vikings. And maybe we can start with that and then move on, talk about Terrence Newman coming back and a few other things that we have on the agenda here. Your biggest takeaway from the access that we had to Vikings minicamp, rookie minicamp.
0: It's very windy out there.
1: It is very windy, yes.
0: Like, to the point where it's going to be like that probably during training camp. So you got to prepare for that.
1: Good luck punters and kickers and long snappers.
0: Hey, Mike Hughes said that... I was asking about like, hey, is it a little difficult? I mean he's he caught punts outside at UCF, so this is nothing new. But they have wind in Florida. They have wind. Uh hurricanes also bring a lot of wind. So I would assume that he's, you know, rather schooled and he's, you know, versed in that. But very
1: familiar with wind. Yes. That was um, in his scouting report.
0: Yes. And uh we gotta look to see how the three hundred and twenty thousand square feet of Kentucky bluegrass is going to hold up during training camp and uh where all those stands that, uh, you know, you were you definitely into figuring out where these bleachers are going to come mm-hmm. from for training camp. So a nice little logistical setup. Uh, I think that's honestly one of the, the biggest things you can take away, how this is going to work for training camp, because it's rookie mini camp. It was day one outside of the physical observations of looking at players saying, wow, this guy uh, looks jacked. Trey Matthews, for example. Mm-hmm. Wow, Brian O'Neill definitely has to put on some more mass. He's a light six seven, two ninety seven. Those are some of my biggest takeaways. Other than, yes, you know Mike Hughes got a little work at the, on, you know, at the inside at the slot corner position. You really can't take too much away from that. I'm going to steal the Bill Parcells line that Mark, Mike Zimmer said, uh, not to be an instant evaluator. So, I will not also be an instant evaluator, but I'll, you know, I'm, I'm down to talk about whatever you want to talk about.
1: Well, I think we can instantly evaluate Brian O'Neill's pecs, personally, because they're not as big as the other NFL tackles that you usually see. And when he talked, he was bringing up the fact that he's going to have to put on some weight, and he mentioned the number 310 pounds. Well, that would mean him putting on at least 13 pounds from when he weighed in at the combine to starting this year, that's a big ask over a couple of months to be working out Uh, in in trying to figure out some of the technique that he's going to need at the NFL level, but then also at the same time trying to put on that much weight. And that's why so many of the evaluators, the ones that we've had on the Purple Podcast, or uh, whether it's the TV guys, you Mike Mayock, or ESPN, Mel Kuyper, anybody who's talked about O'Neal has talked about his need for development. And that's part of it, because right now, standing next to him, He doesn't look like Riley Reef. He doesn't look like Mike Remmers. He looks like a kid that needs quite a bit of strength in order to face off with the NFL's best defensive ends.
0: And Remmers played at 310 last year. I mean, that was kind of the the going weight, um, you know, the average among most of the offensive line. And, you know... To be able to be on that far edge of the offensive line and hold your blocks and, you know, handle a bull rush and just game strength, play strength, he doesn't have it quite yet, which you don't necessarily expect. uh, Someone coming in as a more developmental prospect – to be completely polished. that's That was never the scouting report on Brian O'Neill. The ceiling is very high. The athleticism is very high. And you have the potential to get a guy in here, get him in your weight training program, get him. You know, he's going to have to put on healthy weight, which, you know, by my... Calculations, it's like three months until training camp, essentially. There's, you know, there's time to do that, but it's not going to de- necessarily be an overnight process. I mean, he, we may get back to seeing him after OTAs and even in the early part of August, late July, and he may still not physically look like he's ready. Mm-hmm. But given the state of the offensive line right now and the needs that they have, he may have to be ready sooner rather than later.
1: I am interested to see where he starts in training camp. Mm-hmm. If he begins. Because we're going to have some OTAs here where we're going to get to see them again, and uh, we'll have another mini-camp with the full team. So we're going to get a couple of looks at these guys before camp. But when we actually get to training camp, where is he lining up? Is he going to be at right tackle? Is it going to be at left tackle as Riley Reese backup? Because they might want him to be there long-term. And how is he going to look? in those training camp practices, when he goes up against Everson Griffin or Daniel Hunter, that's where we'll really have a good feeling of where he stands because right now it's impossible to tell. I mean, not only were we a hundred yards away, but they're also in shorts and they're just trying to get the feel of the plays and show a little bit of what they have. But I agree with what you said and what Mike Zimmer alluded to is don 't evaluate these guys right now it 's going to be a process throughout the season, but uh, the off season, but when we get to camp, then we can really tell
0: yeah, and I mean all we got a chance to see during the early part before you know you can 't take photos or any video during when you're doing seven you know eleven on eleven very light eleven on eleven mind you um and just some passing drills. He was working out with the tackles. I did see that. Um, you know when they were going through their early offensive line warm up drills. And Colby Goss, at the sixth round guard, who has again another high ceiling guy. But you know the Vikings really like him. And, and some people that I've talked to said that he could be the surprise of this draft class. Somebody who's ready sooner rather than later. Um, you and I talked to him afterwards. You know talking about the athleticism. He can bench 430 pounds. And you're like, same, me too. Yeah. I didn't say that because. Because you can't like me. Uh, I, yes, exactly. I, I am not afraid to not front on something that I cannot do. But um, you know, he was working out with the guards. I will be curious. I think that's a good point with O'Neal. He's never played guard before. There's a chance that, out of a necessity, that maybe they move him inside. The biggest you know, the key cog in all of this is Mike Remmers. Where is he going to play? And I think once we talk to him, whether, you know, it certainly happened during OTAs at some point, Mm -hmm. that's going to answer or at least start to pave the way to the solution here of what the starting five could look like, because he's a very good guard, as we learned at the end of the year, that that was almost where they were more comfortable playing him. But now there's, I mean, either way, you plug one hole and there's another gaping one right there. Like I, I just once once we figure out where Remmers factors into this and we get an affirmative answer, at least of like where he's going to be working out the most, that should indicate okay, this is where Brian O'Neill is going to fit in in the short term plans for this team.
1: And things can always change pretty quickly because last year we went through the off season and training camp with one assumption about how the offensive line would look, Mm -hmm. and then we got to week one, and it was five guys that hadn't really played together. Five guys
0: who had never started at those positions before in the NFL, and obviously you factor in Pat Elfline there. He's a rookie, but five guys playing different positions. And and were you – weren't we – I mean, granted, I was not at the end of training camp. I started right around August 20th last year. But Alex Boone, I mean, how did you factor Mm -hmm. that in? He gets cut – right before, you know, right as, right as rosters are getting trimmed down. I mean, that certainly changed things.
1: And Pat Elfline had been playing a lot of guard, mm-hmm. and they were mixing in every other rep, basically, between him and Nick Easton at center. And then Nick Easton played really well at one game at left guard, and then all of a sudden he was the left guard to start the season. So these things can change themselves around. Joe Berger last year in training camp at the beginning of camp was awful. And then by the end of camp, he was good, and he had a really good final season as their starting right guard. So it's like not just don't be an instant evaluator, but we might have to give this even more time than we think to see how it's going to play out, because Danny Isadora made a good impression last year, so he's going to be in the mix here as well. And we're just going to have to sort of find out where things shake out. They might be trying something new every single day. Or they might try something in front of us just to show us that. So we write about it. And, you know, they play these little games. And uh, I think we won't really know until we get toward the end of camp where we're going to stand on the offensive line.
0: Yeah. And, and the depth factor is something to definitely be considered here, too, because they don't, at least on paper right now, we see some bodies. And we see Tom Compton. We see Danny Isadora. We see Aviante Collins. Good backup type offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. Is one of them going to be thrust into the role? Uh, even you know Rashad Hill potentially could he be thrust in the role to start at right tackle if they have to keep Mike Remmers inside? Wouldn't that be um, your bet
1: right now that Rashad Hill starts at right tackle?
0: No, uh, just because. And I and I tweeted about this right after the draft, like when right when O'Neill was drafted. My thought is, okay, Remmers, you have to move back to right tackle. O'Neal can't start right now. But then it's, you know, thinking on the inside. You bring up what Isadora did. He started that Browns game um when remember like all those injuries the rash of injuries after Baltimore to Searles goes down and then Mm -hmm. Isidore did pretty darn good in that game and then he had other really good stints where he had to fill in um is he ready to take on that workload I mean you do have a guy in Tom Compton who has chemistry with Kirk Cousins already has you know been just kind of this veteran journeyman swing man um you know along the offensive line he can play multiple spots so I think that's He's basically your new-age Jeremiah Searles. Is he as good as Jeremiah Searles? I know you and I kind of disagree on this, um, but I guess we'll see. But I just think that add a necessity to, for your two bookends, you, you really want to make sure that you're giving Kirk Cousins enough time back there when he's back in the pocket because he's really good when he's when he has time. I don't know as much about the interior push, how that's going to factor, especially given some of these you know three, four defenses that they're going to see early in the Rams. It kind of worries me, but – yeah, I mean, that's where I stand on it right now, that Remmers would, out of necessity, have to play right tackle, at least until O'Neal's ready.
1: And there's going to be also Delvin Cook coming back yep. as, a, as a factor to consider and which guys look the best running his own scheme. And last year, what we ended up seeing when Delvin went down is Pat Shermer adjust the running scheme and he used some zones still. But Latavius Murray was much better fit for a power scheme. So they had to kind of alter themselves. And I think that was one of the reasons that, you know, pro football focus, for example, didn't love Nick Easton last year. But I think the team loved Nick Easton and we saw his value and he could be even better this year when he's running the scheme that he's supposed to run. Because I think he did get overpowered at times by the the stronger, more impressive three-technique defensive tackles. And that's why his grade wasn't that good. Because I, I get that question sometimes. It's a great question of, like, okay, so you say this guy is really well-liked by the team, but his grade is this. Mm-hmm. And sometimes circumstances or who you play against can be factors there. But which one of these guys? I don't know. Is Isadora as mobile and athletic as Tom Compton. I I have not seen Tom Compton really play or uh, up close, especially, I mean, I've seen him in a handful of games against this team or that team, but never really focused on his play. So can he work into that type of scheme? I would imagine bringing him in, wasn't just a favor to Kirk Cousins, but probably also had to do with that. And moving on from Jeremiah Searles might also have had to do with that.
0: Oh, absolutely. Because that happened right at the same day when the Vikings, you know, they announced at the combine um, that they're not going to pick up his, you know, they're not going to do the the second round restricted free agent tender. And then that puts him on the essentially at that moment he was on the open market. They weren't going to be able to afford to bring him back. So you had to adjust, and I think it was good to get. It was a good depth signing at that time, but it may end up very well being a starting decision signing. Um, another thing that you know you bring up Dalvin Cook, I wonder what his role's going to be. Just in you know they don't want to wear him down, but he's so good in pass protection that that might be a really vital thing. How you know how do you see that? That's one thing that I just really haven't explored it all that much because it's certainly finding the right combination of starting offensive linemen is not just to benefit Kirk cousins. It's to make sure that you can be as explosive and as, you know, athletic and fast in the run game. They love the screens. They love being able to get to the second level. That's necessary. in you know, an offense based on movement like that with your offensive linemen. But I do kind of worry like about just, just his sake, like in, in the, you know, how that's going to benefit him because, you know, he was we always talked early on last season about how good he was with the blitz pickup, how important he was to the overall blocking scheme. I wonder what his role's gonna be with that this year. Just just in trying to like limit the, the tear the wear and tear they put on his body.
1: I can make a hockey comparison here. I remember talking to a coach about a defenseman. And he said, you know, one of the reasons the guy's numbers weren't as good as they could have been is because we played him too much, and he shouldn't be playing 26 minutes a night. So this year, heading into this season, we're going to find ways to reduce his minutes a little bit. By the end of the season, you could bet the guy was at 26 minutes because these coaches can't help themselves. And he was the best defenseman out there, and it hurt his numbers personally a little bit, but it helped the team because he was better than the other defensemen. And that might end up being the case with Delvin Cook, where – in the offseason, we're going to hear a lot about we're trying to limit him a little bit, and we don't want to run him into the ground. We, don't want, we want this guy to play in the league for 10 years, and we don't want to kill him. But then you go into the middle of the season, and you're 5-3, and three, and you're battling for a playoff spot or something, and this is the best player on the field, and you're going to end up giving it to him for 90% of yep. snaps. That's kind of how I see it playing out. And Latavius coming back is good because it's hard to find a backup running back that's as experienced and successful as Latavius Murray's a pro bowler. We saw, especially once he took over as the main starter last year, how good he can be at the same time. You're designing your whole scheme around Delvin cook and Latavius. Isn't a change of pace. third down back. They don't really have that. We haven't seen much of Mac Brown. I'm really interested to see what he can do in training camp. They don't have that with Jarek McKinnon gone which means Delvin, who is a, an all-around back, I thought he did a great job at adjusting to being a pass blocker last year. I'm guessing that we're going to see him play 80% of snaps or more.
0: I'm wondering with the number three back position, because you're right, we haven't seen a lot with Mac Brown. Um, the last few years, even, when he was in Washington, you take a look, he just doesn't have a lot of in-game experience. Um, I would venture to guess that, you know, between Mike Boone, Rock Thomas, the guys that they brought in as undrafted free agents who are going to be around um, during camp, that there should be a really good competition there for that number three spot. And you know, factoring in two, what's CJ Ham's role? We never talk about the fullback. I mean, is it going to? Ch- I mean for good reason, but uh, is it, how much is it going to change? Cause it's evidently going to change in this scheme because you take a look at what Philadelphia did last year and your offensive coordinators from that background, they didn't use, I mean, they didn't use the fullback at all. Like I'm curious to see how that factors in, in terms of like numbers, sheer numbers for the 53 man roster. Um, but it's, you know, it's certainly a good point to bring up. Riddle me this is there a chance that just with the wear and tear Latavius is your goal line back that in those situations we I mean could you see that as a possibility where they just to, just to limit the workload for Dalvin Cook that you know he becomes you know Latavius becomes the red zone back
1: I could see that I don't know
0: it's kind of a weird thing to think about just like make Dalvin do kind of all your dirty work like when he yeah. is like you're all around back but just to limit all of that pressure that you're putting on him um, certainly in those circumstances, if you're, trying to, if you're trying to flush out a better role for Latavius Murray.
1: The problem with that is, I mean, I agree that Latavius has had a lot of success there throughout his career. There isn't anything that Latavius Murray does that's better than Delvin Cook, aside from pass block which isn't really that needed in the red zone, but you do need a running back who could sneak out of the backfield. Maybe Latavius can catch well enough to do that, but Delvin is really special when it Mm -hmm. comes to catching the ball, and Delvin can line up as a slot receiver. Last year in camp, they would line him up at wide receiver quite a bit, and I don't think that was just to throw us off. I think they really wanted to do that at some point last season if he hadn't gotten hurt, and I think there were even a few times where he did it during games. They didn't throw it to him, but he lined up in the slot. They would do that occasionally with Jarek at the goal line, yep. and it was dangerous when you can send a running back out like that. I mean, wasn't it Jarek they ran the uh, reverse with last year? They lined him up as a receiver, ran a reverse with him for a touchdown. I mean, there's so many things. That, that... was
0: during the divisional game, right? I can't. Was it? Not I... the one where Riley Reef had like the massive block downfield um, I... the for the opening touchdown when they ran the jet sweep with him.
1: Yeah, I, I'm blanking on when it was. Was that it?
0: I think it was. I'm, I'm pretty sure if that's what you're talking about, that was the opening touchdown against the Saints in the divisional game.
1: Okay, and and that speaks to Jarek's versatility and why mm-hmm. I think he'll do great with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. Delvin can do everything that Jarek could do best, and he can do everything that Latavius can do best, and that's why I have a hard time figuring out, well, where does Latavius fit in? Yeah. Does he fit in as, hey, bring him in on second down and short run a play action? I mean that might be the best thing because do you bring in the fullback? You mentioned that Philadelphia's offense didn't use a fullback, but this is John D. Filippo's offense. Is he going to bring that part of Pat Shermer with him? Yeah, I mean I'm I'm really interested to see how some of these things play out because um, even though Latavius coming back is good for injury insurance, I don't know if it's good because he's not really a role player.
0: Could you see? And I pull this, you you mentioned with uh, Jarek McKinnon, I mean, that's also an offense that uses a fullback as a pass catcher with uh, Kyle Usage. I know I always say his name wrong, it's probably not how it's actually pronounced. But anyways... Do
1: not mess um, up the fullback from the 49ers name. Not on this podcast. I
0: loved in Atlanta what Shanahan was doing with putting one guy in the slot, one guy in the backfield. And granted... Devonte Freeman and Tevin Coleman are different backs. It's a different combination than Latavius Murray and Dalvin Cook. But I'm wondering if you could see a little bit more of that. You throw Dalvin in the slot, um, and it just makes it. It makes it, I think it really opens up what you can do with the passing game and the screen game. I mean, you have Latav- Latavius Murray can catch a ball. Like that's yeah. not that's not the issue here. But I think that if you use one of them almost as a decoy, um, you could make the offense more explosive with Dalvin Cook out of the slot and, you know, using him more as a pass catcher and, and, you know, eliminating kind of that, you know, what he would experience if he was just, you know, you know your three down back out of the backfield.
1: One thing that I can bet on with John DiFilippo is that they are going to be creative. And I, I thought Pat Shermer was extremely creative last year, and Filippo might take that even to the next level. And that takes me to another thing that I noticed from minicamp was that Tyler Conklin is not what he's not similar to what they've drafted before with the athletic tight ends with the freak athletes who run a four or five at six foot six and have no idea how to football, which is what they drafted in, in Michael Pruitt and in Bucky Hodges. And you were going to drop it. This, this is where you have a guy that's more of a football player. And he came across like a really bright guy that understands the game and pays attention to the game. And his observations were really interesting about John D. Filippo's offense, and talked about the possibility of himself lining up in different spots as a tight end, which the Eagles did a lot mm-hmm. with their three tight ends that they used regularly. And, and Conklin caught everything that came his way. It looked like he had really great hands. That was his reputation at Central Michigan. I think he could end up being a part of this offense, maybe not 40 or 50 catches, but maybe what Trey Burton did last year for Philadelphia, catching 20 or 30 balls. And if they need him in for Kyle Rudolph, he might be the guy that gets that call, because I think we know exactly what David Morgan is. What you were missing is another pass catching option.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, to me, this is one of the more underrated moves of this draft because when John De Filippo came in you can expect immediately that he's going to be looking for an F tight end. I know that they probably would have liked to have gotten Trey Burton in free agency. They had to spend that money elsewhere because that was his guy. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the guy in um you know, to create some of these like really good mismatches in Philadelphia and on top of that, I mean, he and Zach Ertz were two two of the three leading receivers um and, and you just kind of can pull on where you know where he's been in the past i mean what Gary Barnage did 2015 in Cleveland and he just he loves being able to move that piece around you know so with with Kyle Rudolph in the role that he's been in I mean, he's a great red zone tight end i think with Tyler Conklin you can almost use him as like flank him out as like a big wide receiver yeah um you're the blocking um you know i'm that's going to come And and I know that we talked with him about that and just kind of where those differences are in the NFL versus from college, and he'll learn that, but you saw him out there on Friday having some interaction, like kind of quite a bit of interaction with John Filippo. Like after he made some of those catches, I remember seeing one of them and it, um, where he high pointed the ball and he kind of caught it up there and kept it up there. And Filippo comes running over at him, just being like, basically making the motion to pull it in, pull it into your body. And that comes with this, but I, I really liked what I saw from him. He was probably one of the more impressive, um, members of the draft class that we actually got to see do a little bit of stuff. Um, and i could see him involved in this offense from you know because they were looking for a starting tight end they didn't necessarily get that i think this is he's going to be in more of a rotational role um because i don't know if you can honestly use both of them in the game at the same time right now just with his development and what more that has to become But I I think you've got a good mismatch here. I really do.
1: And I I really love the concept in general. Uh, And they've done this somewhat with Kyle Rudolph of taking a tight end and moving him all the way out to a wide receiver spot because you force the other team to show you what they're doing. Are they playing man defense there? Because Mm -hmm. if they're playing man, they're going to send a linebacker out there. If they're playing zone, they're going to leave their corner there. So you know what you're getting basically by sending your tight end out, out there. And then you have a decision from the other team of, do we have a linebacker on our guy? And maybe that's a mismatch because of Kyle Rudolph's height. Very few linebackers are six foot six or, or uh, Conklin's ability to jump is probably better. Or do you have a safety or a corner over there? That's a size mismatch as well. I mean that where you can manhandle a guy. So I, I just love that concept. And I think we'll see a lot of it based on what I've watched from Philadelphia and having another guy here gives them even more options to have a tight end in, and then another tight end lined up out wide potentially.
0: And I mean, what we've seen, he can he can be an inline tight end if you need him to be. I think, He's big. His, yeah his his better his better like asset is going to be as a pass catcher for this offense.
1: Yeah, no, I think so, and he might be a better blocker we'll see than Kyle Rudolph it's a low bar to clear. <laughs> exactly
0: um, don't ever ask Kyle Rudolph about his
1: blocking no don't do that it's a sensitive subject but he is uh, Conklin came across to me and this is what I was looking for the other day not so much what they looked like in shorts that the hands you could see sure but sure just talking to them and what type of intelligence you can sort of see from a guy or an understanding of the game and Conklin came across that way I remember with Bucky Hodges, we've talked about a few times, but it was evident, (laughs) right? It was evident right away. (laughs) He's the best example because it was evident right away that this guy didn't quite have what it took from the mental makeup standpoint to be an NFL player. And you have to be a bright guy in general. There are some dumb players I'm sure, but the majority who stick around for a long time are usually very smart guys. Uh, With the cornerback situation, you mentioned Mike Hughes talking about playing in the slot, and he did that the other day when we got to see him. What is your take now that Terrence Newman is back on what happens at nickel corner?
0: Well, I've always thought that if Terrence Newman was going to come back for his 16th season, that also factoring in Mackenzie Alexander's going into year three, he might have grasped or be able to grasp um, he might be able to grasp the, the nickel corner role and actually win the job this time in camp. And then what do you do with Terrence Newman? Well, he's the only one really back there who has done it all. Mm-hmm. Outside corner, slot corner, safety. I mean, you could use him as a rotational defensive back. So he's basically a coming back to not – I mean, he had a great – he played 555 snaps last year. He's the third most of any corner on this team. Um at 40 years old I think he will become more of a rotational player in that secondary and that's huge especially when you don't have the depth at safety that you do at corner to me. Um I think that you bring him into this defense again you, you know, keep him here and he gets it's it's the it's the role that Xavier Rhodes has talked about that Trey Wayne's has talked about that McKenzie's talked about of how they've learned the game from a cerebral perspective from Terrence Newman. Um, and I think that that's going to only benefit a guy like Mike Hughes because it's very, it's playing inside is difficult because you don't know where your help is necessarily. And, you know, run fits are difficult. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I could grasp that if I was a first year rookie. I mean, it's a different position, um, then it's, you know, it's more difficult I think to learn that. So for me, that's the role that Terrence plays where, you know, the whole just one more, that's this that's what this is for Mike Zimmer. It's another depth addition to the secondary that really struggled the latter part of the season and got torched in the NFC Championship game. They're trying to make sure that they have everybody in place possible. Um if he could go if he could go into camp, like that that's this is the most interesting aspect of this for me. How many corners are they going to keep? Could it be 7?
1: I I've, think 6.
0: Well, I mean, think about it cuz you have obviously Rhodes and Wayne's. Let's just put. I'm not. I'm not saying like Mackenzie Alexander is going to get the nickel corner role. I mean, but he's I, on the team. But he's on the team. Um, I think Hughes and, and Alexander, as much as Mike Zimmer says he wants to start Hughes outside and work him in, that may be your challenge right there for nickel corner. Um, so that's five. Terrence Newman six. Uh,
1: Did you double count Newman?
0: No, I counted him as six. Wait, no.
1: You double counted Newman.
0: Let's do this again. I'm sorry. Math is really hard. All right. So roads and lanes. Yep. Alexander and Hughes. And Newman. And Newman. Who's your sixth? Holton Hill?
1: I think Holton Hill ends up being the sixth. I do but too. he's such a wild card. It's either him or if Mike Hughes struggles with the punt returning that it could be Marcus Sherrills. I never want to count out Marcus Sherrills. That's
0: what that's the biggest thing for me. It's like, you know, with the punt returning, it seems like it's a lock. I mean, you spend a first round pick on this guy that part of his game seems like no brainer. They weren't explosive last year. Marcus Sherrill struggled. Going into year nine, he's still kind of the guy who's always on the cusp of this conversation of whether he's going to make the team or not. If he doesn't, though, and you still want to have you know rotational corners because it's not like he's playing much in like nickel in the nickel package. No, at all. he's not playing like at, at all. all, and yeah. so. Do you make a special teams pick over having somebody who could contribute playing like 30% of snaps? I don't know. That's a tough call.
1: I think it entirely depends on whether Holton Hill shows his potential as a player and also keeps his nose clean and gets along with everybody and doesn't get, you know, suspended or anything like he did in college. And he failed the drug test at the Combine, according to reports. He denied that, but I would tend to lean toward believing the report that he did. Still, he was Todd McShay's number one undrafted free agent, a guy that was more of a mid-round level pick that that I think they feel very good about getting him, especially having heard what Mike Zimmer said uh, about him And watching him at Texas, this is an explosive player. This is somebody who is a great tackler who could rotate in in run situations right away and potentially even be a safety with his size. He could be kind of a guy that is an all position type of player. That is more intriguing than having a ninth-year punt returner come back.
0: Could you see them keeping share like it, moving him to safety, keeping as at cornerback, and then potentially Hill and Trey Matthews? I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like what the it's such a crowded room. It's similar to what Green Bay is dealing with now in the talks of potentially moving Josh Jackson over to safety second round pick
1: yeah and the safety backup situation is interesting i think anthony harris is a deadlock because he has played uh you know safety well last year made a big play for them in the rams game and also special teams that he seems to excel at that and i counted him out at times last year and that was a mistake because i think they really like him he's an extremely intelligent player he's gonna fit in there jaron curse Stood out as a punt returner or a punt gunner gunner. last year. Yeah, sorry. Punt gunner last year, but as far as a safety, he's shown very little potential.
0: You just got to drop the hips.
1: Got to drop the hips. When you get in space,
0: space, you got to just drop the hips. It's mostly in space,
1: it's not dropping the hips in other places.
0: I mean, you wouldn't drop your hips if you're in coverage, would you?
1: That was a real, I don't know. I've never been in coverage and thought about my hips.
0: It does bring up. I mean, when you look at that the that was cor- a
1: real quote, by the way, about from Zimmer last year. In he said, Kennedy. "I've never dropped my." No, no, no. He said that oh, J. J- Rod yes. needed to drop his. That's hits. the
0: that's the joke we were getting at. Yes. Um,
1: Wanted to clarify that we, we
0: like a lot of stupid humor. That's like it's not that's like not a funny thing to people, but it's like to us that's hilarious yes. because we like football. Mostly, you. Um, I'm very serious. Um, I just with the safety the safety group. That, to me, is such a question of, like, next year with, like, where Sendejo fits into the mix. And, you know, you really don't, outside of Harris and and, and Curse, I mean, what, Jack Tocho? Is that, I just, I think Trey Matthews almost, if I had to, like, you know, throw something, throw darts at the wall right now, and if I landed on, he'd be my lock, like, of all the undrafted free agents to make this team, just because they don't have a lot of options back there.
1: That's interesting, and he was a guy that was on my list too as someone who could really compete for a job if he outplays J. Ron Curse in oh, training totally, camp. Yeah. And they do need, I thought they might consider safety in the draft because they don't have yeah. the greatest depth, and they certainly don't have a successor right now to Andrew Sendejo. And there's always kind of been that question of, okay, Sendejo is a good player, but if they had another dynamic player, how good would it be? And then it's also its hard to complain about the – number one defense about any position really on the number one defense. The nickel corner thing is interesting because I am looking at this situation last year. I felt they should have signed somebody else. And it turned out that I don't want to say they got lucky, but they kind of got lucky that a 39 year old, you can't can't
0: rely on a 39 year old, like just, just on paper. I mean, for a security purpose, they probably should have signed somebody, but obviously it panned out well for them. And, we don't have to have revisionist history. They
1: rolled the dice, yeah. and they won with Newman last year. And I feel like they're rolling the dice again. And there were a number of very good nickel corners on yep. the market. Uh, Bryce Callahan's name was brought up as an RFA. Dominic Rogers camardi is still out there. He was a great player two years ago, especially, and still a good player last year for the Giants. And now you're taking a little bit of a risk at a very important position there. I will be interested to see if Mike Hughes can excel as that player. I'm not sure that's his best fit. He he does have that strength that I think will help him, but doesn't his aggressiveness, isn't, isn't the, the nickel more of a intellectual position as opposed to the physical man-to-man type of dominance that you need on the outside, and that's where Hughes excels. That's
0: why it's such a tough position to play, because you're asking them to grasp you know, your nickel, not every nickel package looks the same. So when you're, I mean, and who's playing a base defense for a majority of the game anyways, no, that doesn't happen. So
1: yeah, it's the nickel has become the new base.
0: Yes. And that, and that to me is just, you know, you're asking them to grasp a lot of the playbook that they've never even had to touch before. So for a rookie, I mean, I think that's why McKenzie didn't grasp it outside of some other things. Like, you know, he wasn't ready and that's why he got beat out by a 39 year old in training camp last year. Um, I'd like to think that where Alexander excelled last year in, you know, in coverage, uh, where Mike Zimmer had talked about it several points, I believe after the um, after the Washington game, and there were a few other times where he showed flashes of ready to being ready to take that next step. You hope in year three that it goes even further because you don't really have a whole ton of backup options that are truly like. I mean, obviously Newman's reliable. That's good, but is speed going to be a factor is you know the the durability aspect going to be a factor there's a lot you have to consider there
1: with alexander with just the nfl in general i think year one is like okay we'll see you get your feet wet it's very difficult to go through the draft process the combine and if you don't excel right away then okay okay Maybe there's a reason for that with Alexander was his attitude, his unwillingness to listen to Terrence Newman, to coaches. That supposedly changed last year. And then he took a step forward, but it wasn't a leap forward. This is the year where I think you have a final decision on guys. And it speaks to the league that there's always somebody else coming up for your job. If you're Mackenzie Alexander and you see they draft Mike Hughes, you know exactly how they feel about you. But if you've got two full camps in, and then you get to your third full camp, by the end of that, they know where they stand. Do we have a starter? Do we have a star? Do we have a guy who wasn't what we hoped he was going to be? And by the end of this camp, I think we'll know exactly what Mackenzie Alexander's future is. And and even you could say that with Laquan Treadwell. Absolutely,
0: that whole 2016 class. Um, I'm ready
1: to call that one now, though, aren't you?
0: Yeah, I... There's part of me with this, you know, the number three wide receiver role, as we know, is is should, should, should be for Kendall Wright. Mm-hmm. Because that's what they draft. That's what they signed him for in free agency. But where, what about Stacey Coley? Somebody like, where does he fit into this mix? I mean, they say Laquan's going to get every opportunity presented to him. And you should continue to do that with your first round pick. He's. He's, it would cost $5.5 five million dollars or something to cut him right now. It's not going to happen. So you kind of just have to deal like, work with the cards you were dealt or the ones that you picked your, on yourself, by yourself. Um, but that 2016 class is really, I think we're going to, a lot of these roles are going to be flushed out, um, where by training camp be like, good Lord. like These guys are, you can tell people who might be on their way out. I mean, the best picks in that class are David Morgan and Stephen Weatherly. I mean, Jaron Curse was a seventh round pick, but we've seen him really just contribute on special teams. Stephen Weatherly was, you know, working in as a good part of that uh, rotation on the defensive line, like
1: as much as they moved as a, in anybody. Exactly. I mean,
0: behind Shamar Steffen and Tom Johnson, I mean, he was a rotational guy. I anticipate his role increasing significantly this it might, year. Yeah. Um, just with the departure of the two that I just mentioned. so And, and we'll
1: see it, where uh, Brian Robson is too because yeah, I mean, he hasn't really made a, a statement about whether he's playing.
0: D- do you rule out the fact that you know a retirement could come right before
1: training camp? I don't rule that out, no. I, I, maybe he wants to wait and see or decide what his role might be or get a sense for that, but it wouldn't surprise me if either his role was significantly reduced or if he did decide to just end up calling it quits. Sure. Because last year his play dropped off quite a bit from the year before in the production along with it. I, I think they would rather work in someone like uh to Sean Bauer or someone like Stephen Weatherly into his rotational role than to have him playing a big role still. Um I've got to ask you about Former Vikings quarterbacks, but first, is there anyone else on your list? You have the roster there. I have the roster
0: in front of me. Is there um, anyone
1: else on the list that's, that stuck out to you or brings up a topic that's in your head?
0: Hercules Mata'afa. Oh, yeah. I think, I mean, Mike Zimmer was asked about him. Really, I mean, he is smaller. He's. I think he's listed here on the roster. Let's see. 6'2", 244. 54 i think he's probably closer to the 6-1 range just from kind of seeing him up close um and certainly undersized to be playing um you know some linebacker some in some packages at that linebacker role but with kentrell brothers suspended right now or he will be suspended for those first four games i could potentially see him making the roster as a contribute to take over that spot that brothers held down he as a good special teams player um at least for the early part of the season.
1: Mata Afa was so productive at Washington state. I think it's possible that he has an opportunity to fight for that Robinson role where what B Rob okay. was doing a lot was coming in on third down and lining up, standing up over the guard, which is a Zimmer staple. And it's something that you don't see a ton of teams do, but they've done it with uh, Anthony Barr before of lining him up there and Mataafa can't play defensive tackle in the NFL at 250, obviously. This is
0: not like the John Randall NFL anymore, <laughs> where you get, like, undersized guys and, what, he came in 30 pounds lighter than he finished his career at, like, one.
1: Right, yeah. And, okay. I mean, even if even if this guy put on some weight, but that kind of hurts his quickness. Sure. And, and even if he was able to do that, you're still not talking to a guy who could play inside. As an edge rusher, they're kind of set there. Maybe he could fill in, but that third down pass rush role, if he's got instincts for it, which sure. it seems like he really does, there is a chance that he's someone to watch.
0: No, I, I like that because that's such an important part of this rotation when Linville Joseph is most times coming off the field to be able to have some of that push from the interior. Um, get as many bodies in in camp as you can to find that guy because chances are it's pro- he's probably on this roster right now, You'd you'd like to think.
1: How close are you watching former Vikings quarterbacks? Because I'm watching really closely with, there was an article today by Doug Farrar, Bleacher Report, talking about Josh Rosen as potentially winning the job in Arizona, which wouldn't shock me if he did. And then Case Keenum in Denver, they didn't draft a quarterback. Yeah, And they've decided that Case Keenum is their quarterback. And in New York, the general manager talked about how he wasn't that concerned about Teddy Bridgewater maybe taking OTA slow, which also tells us something about where he stands and why he wasn't the backup last year in the playoffs. Yep. Because he hasn't come along as far as they would have led us to believe. That's why they signed Kirk Cousins on and so forth. Is that going to be something you focus on a bit as we go forward through the season?
0: Yeah, I think it's a huge, a huge element of the 2018 Vikings is the success of their former guys. If Case Keenum goes out and I I do think Denver is rolling the dice here because a lot of people that I've spoken with who are close to situations like this, the Nick Foles situation, the Case Keenum, they're very similar in this regard. Is it? I don't know if it's replicable, if what they did last season in kind of this whole perfect storm um, situation where all the pieces were in place around them to be successful, what that means for them going forward. Uh, But if Keenum does... Have a really really good year again, and Kirk Cousins struggles at points. I mean, Kirk Cousins could have an equally as good year, and they'll just be like, whatever, Um, you know, we made the right call. But let's say that that doesn't happen, and this is just—it's kind of that buyer's remorse. Like, should we have stuck with Keenum? Should we have, you know, the Bradford thing is interesting because, and I'm looking at his contract stuff right now. So he has a his fully his salary for 2018 is five million dollars base salary fully guaranteed roster bonus of three hundred and twelve thousand five hundred dollars per game on the forty six man roster and the, on the active roster for game day mm-hmm. that's like 15, $14 dollars or something I mean that's God again math let's say he's active the whole season I mean that this there's a huge motivation factor for him to be able to push through whatever the heck he's dealing with with his knee. I mean, it's degenerative knee issues. It's probably going to keep popping up at some point. Um, But, I mean, that's an expensive piece to keep as a backup quarterback on your roster right now Um, if, if indeed Josh Rosen does go into camp and win the job. But, I mean, it's a nice insurance policy to have because when Bradford's at his good, he's at it, leading the league in, in terms of you know arm strength, accuracy. He's one of the best out there when he's good.
1: And we healthy. had a chance last year, especially in week one, to see the full breadth of that, but also in training camp up close where it was mind-blowing how good this guy could throw the football, and that's why he was drafted number one, and that's why his career has been disappointing, but why people keep bringing him in is because they see how well he throws the ball, and I do think he's an intelligent quarterback, too, that can pick up on Mike McCoy out there in Arizona is going to have a complicated offense, but I think Sam Bradford will be able to handle that. Sure. He could win that job. I look at him and Teddy Bridgewater as guys who could get traded that if Teddy Bridgewater looks really good in camp, but they just want to give the job to Sam Darnold or if McCown is also equally as good. I, I would say if Bridgewater is by far the best, then he gets the job in New York. But other than that, I think they'll want to have Sam Darnold out there as their starter. So if he shows up and he plays extremely well, Darnold does, but Bridgewater stays healthy and puts some good things on tape in the preseason that we might be looking at a Jay Cutler's sort of situation where a team gets their quarterback hurt and all of a sudden they're desperate. So-and-so's out for the year. Who are we going to bring in? And Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Bradford become two of the options because the other starting or the other young quarterbacks win their jobs in training camp.
0: Well, could also be, I mean, not saying that I have no idea where Carson Wentz is on this timetable, but I think with a guy like Nick Foles, it's really similar. His value is going to be so much higher come week three, week four, when dudes start going down to trade him. Then I could see something working out in a similar fashion with both of these, the two that you talked about, um, there's you know with the argument too with i mean teddy's contract is completely in favor of the team at this point where it's pennies to cut him um you know if if that knee is not going to hold up and if he doesn't if he's not healthy and and they just they want to you know create some room there um with the roster i i mean i i could see him 100% as a candidate for that the question that we get is, are the Vikings going to re sign him? Like at that point, I don't, I don't know. No, I, no, no. I could I don't not, think so. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to go there. You um, cannot
1: make that awkward of a situation. Knowing how <sighs> the fans Moses. feel about no, Teddy ma'am. Bridgewater, that they would want him in at every single bad game by Kirk Cousins, every bad throw. Even when Case Keenum struggled for a few drives against Cincinnati to start the game, you heard people yelling, Teddy, Teddy. I mean, you just, you can't have that back here. But I'm looking at like, How about the New York Giants? How about if Eli Manning gets hurt or really shows his age in training camp and Davis Webb doesn't look like he's taking a big step? If you're Pat Shermer, don't you go to Dave Gettleman and say, look, I know how good Sam Bradford is. I've had this guy at every spot I've ever been in. We've just drafted Saquon Barkley. We have a good defense. We've reworked our offensive line. We need to do this. That wouldn't surprise me at all. What about Miami.
0: I mean, what's their quarterback situation? the Jets just cut Bryce Petty. Um, he's and a day later he got signed by Miami. Could you see I could see Teddy factoring into that equation too. I mean a team that literally we don't know what's going on at quarterback for them.
1: They tried to trade for him last year. Mm-hmm. That there was a article out there, a report out there that Miami called the Minnesota Vikings and asked if Teddy Bridgewater was available. And they might be interested. He is a Miami guy, and Tannehill is coming off a knee injury. Yep. And I think that is it his second ACL. Knee injury?
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's why I thought that they were going to draft a quarterback at eleven or wherever they picked because of the insurance policy with Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, he got injured early on last season, and it's you know enough time probably to rehab. But do you have a guy that if this doesn't pan out? Do you have somebody you can turn to? I don't know if Bryce Petty's the answer for that.
1: I wouldn't want Teddy to go there because that team is just a mess. I mean, yeah, that, that
0: offensive line is is definitely oh, not awful. good.
1: It's awful, and so and also, I mean, Jarvis Landry was their only decent receiver, and then he's gone too. So, well, that will be something that I am keeping a very close eye on as we go through the off season. So. Anyway, we've got OTAs coming up in a few weeks. We'll have a lot of things to kick around. If you are still listening to the podcast, we appreciate that. And if you've got ideas, if there's things that you want to hear about, this is a great time to throw us something random about football. Ask us anything about past, present, who our favorite players are, what...
0: Trends of the league is always my favorite. Trends of the
1: league, what jerseys we like best, whatever. We will answer random questions, so Stadium feel free. food. Yeah, do you have a favorite? No, we'll save it.
0: Save, yeah, I can't. Save I can't it. reveal it on the podcast. We're almost ending here.
1: Yeah, that's right. We'll save it. So, uh, Twitter at Matthew Collar at Courtney Cronin R Cronin, R, uh, yeah. uh, or you can send us an email or however way you want to reach us.
0: Smoke out. signals. I do. I do enjoy <laughs> a good sense. telegram here and there.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: singing telegram. Please okay. make it singing.
1: Carrier pigeon is always a classic. So feel free to reach out, ask us any questions or request things you want us to talk about. And we will do that. So thank you all for listening to this episode of the purple podcast.